deep in London's beating heart lies a wall A locked door it be if you know the call For if the wall steps aside, be not afraid of what you see Cause the wizard world has opened up as has the griffin In that case, I think we are ready to do our countdown Alright, we will go in one and two and three and Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Shrieking Shack. This is a Harry Potter reread podcast for Laps fans. I am your host, Cece. And I'm Liz. And Liz, this is week two of recording in the bunker. Mm-hmm. We are in The Shrieking Shack, uh, the Hurtwood House. But do, you, hmm, do you think that the, the Shrieking Shack counts as like a safety bunker? Because that's it, right now, right now. Depends on how many people are in it. That's a good point. Well, I guess if it was just, I, I guess they were putting, you know, Professor Lupin out there. Yeah, that, yeah. I think it's like a one one person bunker, right? And nobody will go into it because they're like, oh, I think ghosts are in there. That's right. And then everyone will go on Reddit and make make posts about like, hey, how come everyone's afraid to go into the Shrieking Shack mm. when there are ghosts in the school? Right. And then the vicious cycle will continue. Yes, we are on week two. I, I hope everyone out there is doing good. We are um, in the, uh, you know, we're in the middle of a, a darker Harry Potter book, I'd say. Kind of getting towards mm-hmm. the end here. And it is very weird reading this book again now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when I remember at the time, you know, but we, we've touched on this a little bit uh, in our in our reading discussions, but like, Oh, this is all kind of like post 9-11 stuff once we were getting into books uh, five, six, and seven, right? Uh-huh, uh, yeah. And and once again, here we are reading this series uh, in the middle of a, a political crisis. Uh, uh-huh. That's been fun. <laughs> that's been it, interesting. It's been something. It's been something. Um, this, of course, has meant that the Harry Potter news, I think, has been kind of on the on the downward slope. Uh, uh, not much to announce. Uh, you know, at the moment, uh-huh. um, J.K. Rowling has not emerged from her castle to tell us anything. Hmm. Which is a bummer. I think I, I you know, I, I posted as much on the Shrieking Shack account. Uh, now is the time for her to say some dumb bullshit that we can all get mad at to bring us together as a nation, uh, as a world, to heal. Um, you, you, you're saying we need new lore. We need new lore. I, that's what I'm saying. I'm, you know, I, I don't want her to come back. You know, she, you know, she'll come back and say something horrible about trans people. That's a given. That'll happen. That's not what I want. I want her to come back and say, Harry was uh, really into. Let's think. What's something that Harry would really like that would be really stupid? Harry really, really liked specifically the third Die Hard movie. Did not mm. like any of the other ones. Which one is the third one? Ah, oh, it's been a while. I can't remember if the third one is the one with Samuel L. Jackson or if that's the oh, second yep, one. Yep, yep, that's the one. That's a pretty, I'm pretty I sure. Like, I like the third Die Hard. Um, what I, if Harry was really into the Die Hard, um, where the only thing I remember about it is that the villain hacked into the city and then turned all the streetlights green? Oh yeah, that's the that was the first reboot one, right? Or like the comeback uh-huh. one? Yeah, yeah. He he hacked the internet. 
and control this everything. More like a Malfoy family pastime to me. Um, maybe, maybe you know, they were sitting down to watch Point Break again, and Lucius is like, "Actually, I got a treat. I've got something new, and it's Die Hard Four. Four. Yeah, that's Die Hard. A good day to Die Hard, or whatever it's <laughs> uh-huh. called. Yeah." Yeah, I could see that. So, 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 please. I mean, like, you know, we 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 could spin these theories up all day, but Joe, you're the expert. You're the you're the one we need to hear from. Uh, so, this is our plea, J.K. Rowling. I don't know. I think that we may have eclipsed J.K. Rowling as the experts about Harry Potter. I think our chapter discussion this week might confirm that. I think that might be a bold thing to say. <laughs> No, I think that might be fair. Just just seeing reaching this point in Harry Potter again and and just piecing some things together about what she said about her writing process and the characters and stuff. I think we I think it is not unfair of us to say that maybe maybe someone else should handle the lore at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think that I think that we would be good candidates to handle the lore, the think, lore, the lore masters of Harry Potter. I think if you that, will. that we we should be the themes, characters, and facts masters. I think that, mm. I think that we can handle that responsibility. Absolutely. Well, we do have one piece of news here, <clears throat> um, and it is that Fantastic Beast Three has pompo- ah, I'm going to take another run at that one. Mm. <laughs> I was about to say pomponed. Um, <laughs> Fantastic Beast 3, uh, the production has been postponed, uh, due to the pandemic. This is really no surprise. I am more reading this just because at this point, there is a certain dark humor to this movie being unable to catch any kind of break. Mm-hmm. Like, I, this is the right decision. I'm glad that everyone working on the film, uh, is hopefully, uh, uh taking the safety precautions they need to, but boy, howdy. Is there something funny about this? I, you know, at some point, maybe it's just time to take your ball and go home. Yeah, I don't think J.K. Rowling has ever but learned like, that lesson. Forever. <laughs> <laughs> I know we were just asking for her to come back and do do some lore, but I think yeah, no, now that we're spinning that like someone else could probably handle that, and this movie has been postponed for the third, fourth time, I think. Um. Maybe maybe this is a sign from the heavens that is just simply not meant to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's look into our crystal ball here. Yeah. I I mean, I guess we we don't we we have no idea, right? This is unprecedented in our current mm-hmm. current system mm-hmm. as it exists. But I'm trying to figure out what this delay means for when this movie will come out. Yeah. Are we are we going to be be posting uh, we're we're gonna have like long finished reading harry potter <laughs> done the recaps done our our tearful like talking about the series as a whole three-part episode <laughs> that I'm announcing right now that's probably what we'll do <laughs> yeah um it'll be in the rear view mirror we'll be talking we'll be like reading lord of the rings i'm gonna be struggling i'm gonna be asking you questions <laughs> like is this Sauron or Saruman? Which one is which? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not gonna know. I'm gonna say like, can't Tom Bombadil come back? Um, and then out of nowhere, it's like we'll have to do an episode of like, oh, we watched Fantastic Beasts three. It's gonna be 2025. I think that is kind of what we have signed up for here. I think. I think that like you know, long beyond 
us finishing the Harry Potter series and us and us kind of retooling into like a, a, a broader uh, uh, subject than just Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to have to keep coming back to the well because, uh, uh, you know, just out of the sake of duty and tradition, um, but also because I, I feel like not even a global pandemic uh, uh, halting production is going to stop Fantastic Beasts, you know? Like, at this right. point, it, it, there there's probably some form of, like, sunk cost thing going in here where it's like, you can't not make the next Fantastic Beasts movie. Yeah, I guess, I guess that there was a part of me that was like, maybe it'll just be canceled. Maybe they're not going to want to take that risk after Crimes of Grindelwald did so poorly. But I imagine that the studios are probably going to think of this as the conservative answer. <laughs> this is the this is the they're I mean they they are in a strange position because Fantastic Beasts uh, two did not do great overall. It was like right. number it didn't even make top ten blockbusters for the year it came out for twenty eighteen. Um, but it that is, was 2018. Yeah, that was 2018. Ugh. We saw that. Um, Jeez. But the the weird part is that they are the the the, the movie is um, one of WB specifically top grossing things. Okay. So they're in this weird spot where it's like it is not it is not like a globally demanded thing on the scale of like a Marvel movie. Right. But it is definitely something that is probably being demanded by like shareholders and mm-hmm. you, you know like it, it is it's just in a in a difficult spot there. Um I don't think it's something they could outright cancel. That's too bad. I like the idea of the orphaned two Fantastic Beasts films. Like, what a relic that would be in a few years. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's there are a lot of I I think about these for video games a lot. Like the mm-hmm. the announced trilogies that never came to be. Right. Do you remember? Um, oh God, what was it called? Uh, there was that like Xbox exclusive. Um, that was like written by Orson Scott Card, and it was like a third-person action game. And they were like, "This is it. What? This is this is the future of games. We've got a we've got a real ass writer making this." <laughs> Advent Rising. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> it was called Advent Rising, and they like advertise it as the like this big like step forward for narrative in games. They announced yeah. three of them out of the gate, um, <laughs> and there was a contest. For the like, like if you bought the first game, you could enter into a sweepstakes to win one million dollars cash. Like they were just going all out on this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that contest got canceled because nobody bought the game, um, right? And there are not three of those. Mm. And I, I love that kind of, uh, like pop culture Ozymandias statue that exists. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, and- oh, I, I love that. That is. I, and and Harry Potter is a weird one too because I think that like like it or not the Harry Potter books are going to have some staying powder power yeah. in pop culture right oh, yeah. kids are going to read Harry Potter uh, probably for a long time oh, which yeah. would be my guess and then it's like oh there are also movies they're going to watch the movies they're going to be they're going to be old movies that they watch and it's like oh yeah they also made these other two prequel movies there were supposed to be five and imagine if those two got orphaned at the end of Crimes of Grindelwald where Queenie just joined the wizard Nazis and the like 
end cliffhanger is Grindelwald saying, you're a Dumbledore, and then we don't get to know anything else. Oh, that's, that's excellent. That, I want that so bad. Yeah, that is such a scenario. Because you know, you know what's the funniest part of that scenario? Is that the, the way that, like, JK could, like, dig out of that weird rut is by finally writing another actual novel in the series. Uh, oh, yeah. And, like, would she do that? Because she seems pretty adamant that she never wants to do that again. But, like, if, right. if you know, just just due to these series of uh, unfortunate circumstances that WB is facing, they're just like, you know what? We, we, we just can't keep throwing money at this thing and ending the series at, at two out of five. You know, d- does that sway her into writing a new novel? <laughs> well, that's fun to think about. I'm sure we will get Fantastic Beasts 3. In some form. We, uh-huh. we, will, we will get it. Some, I, I, I'm also wondering if they would do it as like maybe a slightly lower budget TV series. Oh. Instead. Which she'd love because she gets to write more of it, right? Like, right. that might be a win-win for her. I don't, I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, I... Interesting, interesting times, but I just, I am always thinking of these, like, huge, unprecedented, like, this is going, like, you know, it, it is it is a real weird thing whenever a company, like, puts their flag down and something and says, like, this is going to be the next big thing. Mm-hmm. And it just blows up in their face. Uh, that yeah. has always been fascinating to me whenever that's happened. Um, mm-hmm. Thinking of the dozens of Halo killers that came out on... <sighs> on PlayStation uh, over the years, right? Just yeah. like, it was, that's the whole thing people do. It, it, the, the weird pop culture bluster is always fascinating. Yeah, how's, how's Bioware's Anthem going? Oh, the, sh- the, what was it? The Bob Dylan of video games or whatever? Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> ooh, woo wee, ooh wee. We could do a whole podcast on our, on our, uh, maybe that's the podcast we'll be doing when the next Fantastic Beast comes out. It's talking about Bioware stuff. Yeah, we'll call it the Bob Dylan of video games. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, I have one more little nugget of news here. Mm-hmm. Um, this is really minor, but I wanted to revisit the story in the wake of uh, everything that is happening. Uh, mm-hmm. The Granger 2020 campaign. Uh... <laughs> I'm withering. <laughs> um, the, uh, you know, they've kind of just been plugging along slowly. Um, uh, but they did an interview with the Leaky Cauldron. Uh, and there was one specific piece in here that I uh, really, really think is worth highlighting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is a question from Leaky Cauldron. Okay. This campaign also focuses on stories, and the Harry Potter Alliance believe fans, particularly Potter fans, are some of the best place people to help make a change. Uh, and then this is a quote from the Granger 2020 uh, runners. Fans in general have a ton of experience of finding the source material they love and reworking and reimagining it in a way that helps it grow, be accessible to more people, and reach new heights. A big part of why the most prolific stories, Harry Potter, Star Wars, Marvel, the reasons these stick around for decades is because there are fans out there reworking and redefining the content, and that benefits from having something current in the story that keeps it relevant in society today. The way the U.S. makes most of its decisions is based on this very old piece of content, the U.S. Constitution. 
we are constantly having oh to try to reimagine God. it. Reimagine what it meant. By experience and practice, fans are really great at taking a source material and saying, I see a new direction this can go. Are you joking me? No, this is a direct quote. That is shameful. Oh, oh my God. No. The oldest piece of content of all. The U.S. Constitution. <laughs> I need to go back to bed. <laughs> maybe we can give maybe we can give this another run tomorrow. I, oh my god. Jesus. That is, that is shameful. Yeah. That is some truly uh I'm kind of over being bemused. Mm. Like like I maybe was before. Wow. Really, really, really need to rethink some your really whole smart world. stuff. Yeah, your worldview. And how you relate to things if that's if that's the wisdom you're you're digging out of your your thought process here. I feel like that is the worst thing you could have read to me before we're gonna do this chapter too. <laughs> yeah. 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 Worst best? I'm not really sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry to just kind of dump something so dark and cursed on you. <laughs> Right now, um, but uh, I feel like we're gonna come away from this episode with a very strong thesis statement. Mm -hmm. That's what I'll say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, let's uh, let's do that. Let's let's get into our reading, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Um, this is chapter something. I did not write it down. Uh, it's called Horcruxes. The chapter is um, Harry is walking back to the castle, back back to bed, but he's very pretty excited about getting the memory from Slughorn, uh, but he's noticing that the luck potion is wearing off and he's getting a little unlucky again. Darn it. He, nearly headless Nick, kind of runs into him as he's trying to get into the Gryffindor common room and lets him know that Dumbledore is actually back at the school. Um, Harry didn't run to him immediately because he thought that he was away. Um, Harry beelines it to Dumbledore's office um, to give him the memory and Dumbledore is at first surprised to see Harry, but is immediately absolutely thrilled that that Harry has has completed his quest and they're going to watch the memory immediately. Um, it's the same one that we remember before that was edited. It is um, Tom Riddle and his kind of school friends slash Death Eaters um, sitting around with Slughorn in the Slug Club. Um, kind of, you know, schmoozing and, and doing the whole thing. Uh, and Tom Riddle approaches Slughorn after after the, the club is over privately and says, hey, can you tell me about Horcruxes? And Slughorn is a little taken aback, um, but he's pretty flattered and and just and just likes Tom Riddle a lot and and kind of is assured that it's just it's just academic and he and he tells him that yeah a horcrux is is when you split your soul uh, and technically you would defeat death by doing that you 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 would not die as long as your soul is is kind of encased and um, protected on Earth uh, but nobody would want to do that it's a real it's a real real effed up thing to do um and it's not worth it that that existence is not good you you're not supposed to live with with your soul um split into two um he also kind of tells a little bit vaguely about the method uh, that someone does it you have to kill someone 
uh, Voldemort, or excuse me, Tom Riddle gets pretty excited about this. Um, and Slughorn is starting to get a little bit more uncertain, realizing that that maybe Tom Riddle is is a little freak. Um, and Tom Riddle <laughs> also says, Tom Riddle also says, like, okay, but if you can split it into two, can you also split it into seven? Um, and Slughorn's like, no, that's that's real effed up. Don't do that. You know, get get out of here. Um, but but the damage has been done. Um, Harry and Dumbledore leave the memory, and Dumbledore is is triumphant. He's like, ah, I was right. Um, and the literal rest of the chapter, which I think is about eight pages, like eight to ten pages, is Dumbledore laying laying it all out there. Um, it's all exposition. It is Harry and Dumbledore having a conversation back and forth. So I'm going to try to kind of go point by point, get all of the like relevant. I mean, I think it's supposed to be like, aha, we, we know everything now. Um, uh, Dumbledore explains uh, that Voldemort probably wanted to make seven Horcruxes because it's, you know, it's a magically significant number. Um, and also he'd shown us a lot of stuff about how he liked to collect um, like significant artifacts um, from the founders of Hogwarts. Um, he also reveals to Harry that um, a couple of the Horcruxes have already been destroyed. Um, and it is at this point that he says, like, it was the diary from Chamber of Secrets. You already destroyed it. Um, we also find out the ring that Dumbledore has and that we've, we've known from the memories, the gaunt ring, uh, was a Horcrux and Dumbledore destroyed it. Um, but it only cost him his hand. Uh, so he's, he's chill with that. Um, Harry kind of puts it all together. He's like, oh, the cup and the locket. Those must be Horcruxes. And Dumbledore says, yep, that's why I showed those to you. Um, also, Tom Riddle probably came back looking for a teaching job because he was trying to find more artifacts at the school, or rather using that as a pretense to, to find more objects to make into Horcruxes. Uh, Dumbledore also spent some time speculating that he thinks that Voldemort maybe made Nagini into a Horcrux, um, perhaps out of desperation after not finding, finding other kind of worthy artifacts. Um, and he probably did it, I, th I think he says, like, the night that that um, uh, he killed Harry's parents. Um, Dumbledore tells Harry that he has a suspicion of where one of the other Horcruxes must be and that Harry can come with him uh, at a later time to go and track it down and destroy it. Um, he also explains why... They have to destroy all of the Horcruxes before they can kill Voldemort, his body as it currently is existing and walking around. Um, also, Harry kind of talks about the prophecy a little bit, and Dumbledore um, explains to Harry that um, the prophecy is not true. Voldemort made it true. He created his worst enemy by 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 listening to the prophecy or putting a stock in it enough to go and try to kill Harry uh, and killing Harry's parents. Um, and obviously, if if that had not happened, Harry would not be so angry and want to kill Voldemort in the first place. So he kind of did it to himself. Um, and also, Harry's special power is love. His soul is intact. It's very, it's a very important uh, ability, and it's what he's going to use to defeat Voldemort. Um, and I, I think that is generally it. Harry's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I want to kill him now. I'm so angry at all the stuff that he's done. He's bad. Um, and that he finally realizes the difference and between his attitude before, and it's about 
facing death with your head held high or something. That's the end of the chapter. I feel so vindicated by this yeah. chapter. Yeah. Uh, for several reasons. Uh-huh. Uh, number one being, I, I now am back to where I was all the way back before we started this podcast in straight up just not believing J.K. Rowling when she said she planned this all out from the beginning and had all the notes ready to go before she put down, you know, word one uh, mm-hmm. or whatever. Straight up just untrue, I think. Second of all, I was thrown back to being a teenager and reading this chapter for the first time <laughs> and realizing that, no, this really is stupid enough for me as a dumb teenager to have not liked at the time. Because because I, 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 we've talked about this before. There's been part of me that has been like, I don't want to like front and pretend that my taste and my literary acumen was so great as a teenager that I, <laughs> that I recognized how stupid this was, right? Like, mm-hmm. I liked some dumb shit when I was a kid. I like some dumb shit now. But I, I have very strong negative reactions to the re- uh, revelations in this chapter that I definitely remember having at the time. And, and I, it, all, it all came flooding back here, I think. I definitely share a similar feeling about this chapter. This reveal is so stupid. <laughs> it's yeah, it is it, like it is um both like as a chapter and as a like waypoint for the rest of the series going forward, it is a mess. Like I I I'm I've read this chapter 3 times now uh this week. <laughs> Uh, That's great because I hope you can explain some stuff about it to me. Yeah, yeah. That I am just not not quite getting. Yeah, um, I, and I am still just like scratching my head over like again, t- t- like none of none of this stuff really. I, I would say like of the later book things, Horcruxes are definitely the Harry Potter object that have the most like cultural staying power, right? Um. In just in terms of like people, people like talk about Horcruxes as this thing that's hard to destroy. People talk about like this version of like the Soul Gem or whatever. Like like it made its mark, right? Sure. Um, but nothing else here. Uh, and there's quite a bit like about the and, and, you know and, again it's a total mess. But like it, it, this entire chapter is like the the strongest spotlight we've gotten on like the theology and uh uh like m- makeup of the wizarding world here and i just don't think it registered with anyone because it's nonsense yeah it is nonsense yeah. um i do want to start off on the top here as we kind of go through it to yeah. talk about probably the best thing about this whole chapter uh before it just like it goes just completely crazy. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed Harry coming back into the castle and going like, ah, guess the potion's wearing off. I'm so unlucky now. Yeah, that is a really honestly great moment. Uh, I, I And it, it's uh, just another, like, piece of ammo in that argument uh, that, like, I, I don't think that the the Felix Felicis needs to be read as literal, right? Like, mm-hmm. the... 
that is such a relatable uh experience harry is having there like that is the so like that that is such a like stubbing your toe and like going like oh like this day cannot get any worse right i'm so i am the most put upon person in the universe i drop yeah like yeah it is it really it, it has nothing to do with luck right it's just you know stuff happens yeah, it's really cute. I, I enjoy this intro just because it really is this mirror um, to the the luck potion chapter in the first place, which shows us a bunch of very mundane lucky things happening that we see happen all the time without the help of luck potion. Um, and then this reverse of a bunch of unlucky stuff happening, like the door being locked and, and, and on and on that are also extremely mundane and happen all the time. Yeah. Like Harry has run into peeves how many times throughout this series, <laughs> you know, he's forgotten the password. How many times, like, like none of this has to do with the potion specifically. Um, right. And he's, he's even like, Oh, I'm, I'm really unlucky now. Now the potion is wearing off, but he really like, realistically is getting lucky because he happens across nearly headless Nick. Who's like, Oh, Dumbledore did happen Mm -hmm. to get back tonight. Yeah. Um, but, but he's, I mean, it's, it's all like confirmation bias stuff. Um, so I think that's really fun and really clever. And I, um, luck potion fake. Yeah. It's, it's such a great little, it's a great little end cap to, to that last. Oh, I'm just really, do you think that was the last good chapter? Do you, (laughs) <laughs> like of the whole series like maybe like i'm just I, I, I obviously we won't know until we're done but i'm like i'm i'm putting a pin in that idea is that like the last gasp for everything we like about this series oh probably <laughs> i mean i think that i think this book's almost over right and then we're going camping yeah we've got i think four more chapters after this yeah um but uh unfortunately this great little opening scene with harry uh, and his his woes and Nick and the fat lady uh, is all, is over all too soon. Which is, I, I like the scene a lot. And I would also like to, and I don't want to get into it right now, but I would like to point out that in this scene, we talked to the fat lady uh, portrait who seems to have a mind of her own and and has like it's it's a whole kind of joke because harry's getting back into the castle really late and the fat lady says you know um you're you're so late what are you doing here i changed the password and as harry leaves she says just kidding i was just mad that you're late Mm -hmm. i didn't change the password also running across nearly headless nick who is there to tell Harry to go see Dumbledore. So let me let me just point that out and put a pin in it. And also, go see Dumbledore. Also, Peeves. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Peeves. We're, mm-hmm. We 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 are getting multiple ghostly entities in this interesting in- introduction. We haven't seen ghosts in a while. We don't see nearly headless Nick very often. No, no. And he always show. Uh, there's something I always love about when Nick shows up. Um, this is the same in Chamber of Secrets as well, uh, where. He just shows up and him and Harry talk like they're like best buds who hang out all the yeah. time. Yeah. Which is cute. I wish I wish if that were the case they we would see him more. No, um, I know. I lo- I love this idea of the the ghosts being like the um I want to say like camp counselor, but that's not what I mean. I guess like the school counselor yeah. of each of the houses, right? Exactly. They're like your buddy that like will help like listen to your problems yeah. and all of that. I I like that a lot. Yeah, I think that's a really novel idea that does not get explored enough in this series Mm -hmm. um 
but we have got to talk. I, I guess with this, I think that it is imperative with this chapter that we just go like as bullet point by bullet point as possible here. I think that's a good place to start. Yeah. Um. So we should do this, like running into Dumbledore and doing the Slughorn memory first uh, here. Yeah. Um. I. Prime evil Dumbledore stuff again. His surprise and then immediate, like, oh, you got it. I have a hard time getting out of my head about evil Dumbledore. Yeah, it, it is. There. This is, this is like, this is me being in like prime rewrite mode here. Mm-hmm. But the. I think that starting this chapter with Harry's lament about his luck <laughs> um, here. Uh, would have been such a great setup for like all of this to have just been kind of a like manipulative play by Dumbledore to get access to the memory as soon as possible. That's so scary. That's like, I, 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 and I love that because it's so cohesive to have Harry go, Oh, I'm so lucky. And then have, or rather I'm so unlucky. My luck has run out literally and having Nick show up immediately and say, Dumbledore's back. That's so cool. Yeah, and and just have you know, Dumble, you know, Dumbledore seems Dumbledore is fairly all knowing when it comes to what's going on in the castle, right? Like, mm-hmm. like he could have easily seen Harry go, you know, walking down to the to the um, uh, Hagrid's hut with Slughorn or whatever, and it's just like, okay, the pieces are all in place. I'm gonna make sure Nick is there to tell him to come see me immediately. You know, like there's there's a really fun unspoken thing there that i think is also probably unwritten like i don't think that's the real subtext but i was just like i was kind of just going like yeah 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 reading this part like oh this is so cool before i was sort of hit with the reality of what was going on there have been a few parts in this series where we've kind of talked about um stuff in this way where it's like i feel like i've been like maybe 99 percent certain that it was written in a different way at first and then changed at the last minute. Mm -hmm. And obviously that's kind of all speculation. Yeah. Yeah. This is such a evil Dumbledore. I know we talk about this every week, but this is one of those ones where I want to say that I want to say 99% Dumbledore was like the villain until it was changed at the last minute. But I know that that's not true, Yeah, but it is the strongest like accidental obviously he's the villain making me think that maybe it's an on-purpose red herring i can't figure it out yeah it is so strong like it, it is it is especially interesting to look at it that way because it would not be the first time that a like benevolent adult in harry's life was revealed to be the villain all along right mm-hmm. um like if 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 this really was what the intent of the story was or even if it was intended to be a red herring it's playing on some really i think strong stuff that has been in previous books like you know for as messy as goblet of fire was i think that everything involving the fake moody was just spot on brilliant right like right. there are all those scenes of him buttering harry up and like uh uh, uh, manipulating him and and like playing into the uh, idea Harry has of him as the trustworthy uh, authority figure that you know this this really feels like it could be that times ten mm-hmm. um, and like you know all the red flags are there more red flags than there were with with fake Moody even I I believe 
Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think that that really is probably just something we are bringing to the book because I think both of us as like, both as like readers and I think just broadly as like people, um, I, I, I imagine that both of us have a very cynical view of like the idea of like great men capital g capital m great men right like yeah i mean i I guess that really lays bare what it is and that this that dumbledore is written as a great man and my reaction reading that is oh evil right bad right like in like like i i think that we just are bringing an innate distrust to this concept to this book that jk rowling probably has never had Right. Like the the parallels are all there between fake Moody's behavior and Dumbledore's behavior and like the way that they are using this child to get what they want. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just that Dumbledore's cause is noble and fake Moody's was not because he was a bad guy. Right. Like but but like all the pieces are there. Uh, You know, all the actions are the same. It's just. Uh, the, the you know what what is what are these actions in service of that has changed? Mm-hmm. It's really hard to talk about this chapter in ways that aren't just so broad like this. But I I think that's necessary because I I think that like this chapter is maybe the most revealing uh, of how uh like murky and like poorly thought out the themes of the entire series are i think mm-hmm. um you know we'll, we'll we'll get to it once we get to the the part after the memory where dumbledore is just like outlining all of the themes uh, <laughs> uh for yeah, us for so let's talk pages. about yeah let, let's talk about the memory yeah um yeah because it's all pretty much all that's in here that isn't just a conversation between harry and dumbledore um it's i I mean, we find out that this is the answer. I I have the strong suspicion that as we are reading this, this is supposed to be this aha, the mystery is solved moment um, of of Slughorn telling Voldemort finally what Horcruxes are. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. They're quest items, (laughs) you know? Yeah, it is... um... It is very funny to me that not only are Horcruxes, like, straight out of Dungeons & Dragons, uh, yeah. like, they are just soul gems, right? They, these, yeah. these are phylacteries from D&D. Um, which, which is absolutely hilarious that it's, like, a phylactery. Uh, why, why, like, that's really messed up. And the, But the thing that makes Slughorn freak out is, like, oh, you want to make more than one? <laughs> you want... You're not just going to kill one person. You're going to kill seven people. I th- this is such a weird. Th- this is so weird. Like, th- and and I think that this is like my number one with the bullet proof that none of this was thought out from the beginning. Sure. Um, if this was, there is a way that this could have been a big twist and a very uh-huh. interesting one. Um, if we had been introduced to the idea that you could split your soul into two pieces and put part of it in an object and hide it. And like, this was, you know, some great evil deed. If we had learned that, like, I, I would say at least a book ago, mm. um, uh, preferably two or three books ago. Right. 
um, if we had had that first idea in our heads for a while about like this was the greatest evil, what what could possibly be beyond that, right? The uh, ta- the taboo of the wizarding world, right? Yeah, if we if we had known anything about wizard culture before this, mm-hmm. and then getting the reveal that like, oh no, Harry doesn't have to just track down one thing to kill Voldemort. Uh, Voldemort has thought ahead and has done the unthinkable, right? Like, there, I think there is a way to salvage this and to make this not only something that, like, makes more sense in, quote-unquote, like, the lore, but, like, something mm-hmm. that narratively works as a twist. But instead, we get both both pieces of information to us, are given to us here. And that mm-hmm. just doesn't work. That That doesn't register as a twist. That doesn't register as a as like a careful narrative planning you can't you can't treat both reveals on top of each other as like some grand design it feels like reading a twist for a book that you haven't read yes oh that is such a good way to put it this is like reading the wiki entry for a horror movie that i'm too scared to go see <laughs> or something right it's it it, it is assuming so much and i and uh i i think that that is another thing i will put a pin in for the dumbledore discussion but like there's so much assumption going on here on on like the part of like what the reader is going to find shocking Mm -hmm. And, and so much of it is relying on like some innate cultural programming that has not been done by the book itself but yeah this this whole scene is like I'm, I just don't know what it is I'm supposed to take away as like, oh my god, this is the crazy thing, because I have not been told until this point, like a sentence before I am told that Dumbledore, or that Voldemort made multiple horcruxes, is that I don't know what one horcrux is. Right. I, I get no space to breathe with uh, 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 accepting that, like, one horcrux is bad enough, right? Uh-huh. I, I hate to, I you know, I, I always go back to the video game analogy well that that's just who i am but i think that this is really funny because this is writing that is like acceptable at the beginning of a video game and not the Mm. end of a book you know what i mean in a video game it is exciting to hear that the game is going to be really long and varied because there are eight things to go collect, right? Yeah, that's like eight areas. That's eight temples to go to explore with all different environments, (laughs) characters, (laughs) themes, facts. It's so exciting. It's like, oh, this game is huge. Like, like this is something that would excite me at the beginning of a JRPG. Mm -hmm. Um, This is something that just makes me sleepy at the end of a book. Like, it's exhausting. Yeah, this idea it that- really is. There is a a weird fatigue feeling to hearing this. Yeah, it is. It is. Th- th- there is like a grim acceptance that I have had to like come to terms with that the rest of this series really is a treasure hunt, and that's just such a weird thing for Harry Potter to become. Yeah. I don't really know how to talk more about the Slughorn scene without talking about some of the other stuff. Yeah, here. I, I think we should. I think we should go on ahead and bring in the Dumbledore stuff now. Okay, so I think I guess our our first reveal here is that Voldemort probably made seven Horcruxes because that's a magic number. Yeah, that is the first part where I had to like put the book down and go for a little walk. <laughs> was I? Uh-huh. I you know we we've been noticing sevens all throughout the series. 
you know, obviously there are seven books and like seven has always been like a, a prominent number. Yeah. But there is no reveal as to why. There is no explanation as to what seven means to wizards. It is just 100% playing on the idea that seven is a holy number in the Bible and in Western culture, right? Like that is, hmm. you, you have to, you have to make that leap because the only thing we get out of Tom Riddle and Dumbledore here is that seven is a magically quote, literal quote, a magically, the most magically significant number. Interesting. Like, no reason why we, there, we we don't have any detail on like what that means. And it's a weird thing to say out loud. That is something, there are so many things, and this is, this is something I'm going to be coming back to a lot in this chapter. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of things here that work if you don't say them. But this chapter just says them to the audience directly through Dumbledore from this, you know, this, this trustworthy source. And it, it really ruins a lot of the series, I think. Yeah. I I mean, it's this weird, hard turn into like almost religious allegory as if, we're just like, oh, okay, this is what we're doing now because it's familiar. Right. It's so bizarre. It's, it's, going, it's going like full steam ahead into religious allegory, but the problem is that it is so flimsy because it's not really allegory, it's just religious references. And uh-huh. not only is it just religious references, it's religious references being made in a world and story that like are kind of at odds with making religious references. Like... Like the seven thing, like like just 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 to focus on the seven thing, mm-hmm. like you know in 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 Christianity, seven is often considered like a holy number or whatever. Like it 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 is it's a recurring number in the Bible. A lot of people have argued for centuries over what the significance of it is. Right? It's generally it's generally accepted as just like yes, this is an intentional recurring thing in the Bible. And it is uh, it is a number that pops up in a lot of like Christian influenced media, sure. And that's yeah. that's cool, right? Like that that's that's uh-huh. interesting. But nobody says that. Yeah, I mean, it is like you said. I mean, it's popped up a ton in Harry Potter, and it's like, oh yeah, this is. I mean, this is a very like culturally Christian story. I knew that, but to have Dumbledore say it is weird. Right. It is. You know, like there are a lot of you know there are, there are tons of. Biblical references in, like, you know, name any popular Western media you like, sometimes on purpose, and then sometimes just through, like, cultural osmosis, right? Like, like mm-hmm. that is just a reality of Western literature. It's something that's interesting. It's something a lot of people keep track of. Uh, but, like, normally when this kind of thing pops up, it pops up either as, like, a subtle reference or a subtle thing. Like, hey, have you ever noticed that there are seven blanks in this story? And there, at no point does a character turn to the camera and say, you know, seven is a holy number in the Bible. <laughs> because doing that changes it from, like, you know, religious reference and allegory and, like, illusion. And, like, it it suddenly shines a spotlight on it where you can suddenly not avoid asking questions about it. Right. And it is, I think disastrous for the story and i I, the seven thing i think really is like representative of of this but it's not just that in this chapter we have like the the nature of the soul is a big part of this chapter Mm -hmm. and is never explained in any detail 
that would in in terms of like what that means to the wizarding community it just assumes you as the reader have absorbed enough about the christian uh uh, writing and and philosophizing about the soul to know that it is important yeah i mean it really relies on you to bring that context to the table because the stuff that dumbledore is saying and that harry doesn't question feel outside of the cultural context of us knowing the references, living in this culture, engaging with fiction in this way, feel like huge leaps, right? Yeah. Like, 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 let's like take kind of it out of here and to have Dumbledore say like, oh, he made seven Horcruxes because it's a magically significant number. That's kind of based on nothing that we've seen right. within the context of the book. That's crazy. If I am like, Harry should be like saying, you know, like, what? Why? Like, how, how do you know that? Because it doesn't, doesn't mean anything Yeah, what, it, that is utterly meaningless. And it would have been fine if if it just went unspoken and there are so many things in this in this scene in this chapter that if they were left unsaid and were just left for close reading mm-hmm. would have worked i think um but instead it does this bizarre thing where it almost feels like and i, I there was another chapter um i think it what might have been the serious in the cave chapter mm-hmm. where i said that the book felt like it was arguing with its own plot holes <laughs> and this is that to the nth degree. Uh, there's the there's the bit about how, oh, obviously Voldemort would choose really cool, significant artifacts to turn into his Horcruxes, which mm-hmm. like would not like there. I saw on the front page like today on Reddit, someone posting like, how come Voldemort didn't just make his Horcrux like a grain of sand? Or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, that is a funny joke, but it is because of the way this text uh, uh, goes out of its way to devote an entire paragraph to telling you why it makes sense that Voldemort would choose um, something very impractical and easy to find as opposed to something impossible to find to make his Horcruxes out of. Uh, because he is a character who has uh, uh, themes and, and and facts and you know <laughs> right <laughs> like like having Dumbledore say that elevates that criticism from like kind of a passing joke to a legitimate question because now a character has noticed it right and it is no longer like just a function of the story it is like a thing a character has noticed and thought about and has come up with a flimsy explanation for. Right. I mean, this is like if if this explanation wasn't in here and someone were to say to me, why didn't Voldemort make his Horcrux out of a tin can and put it in a, you know, a dump Mm -hmm. to never be found? I would say because you can't make your villain immortal. The story can't happen. Right. Like, right. Like, I mean, they have to find the Horcruxes. And it has to tell Um, us something about his character at the end of the day. Right. But it should be telling us something about the character. It shouldn't be telling the other characters something about the character, right? And that the the answer is Dumbledore saying, well, I showed you that Tom Riddle is a pop culture serial killer. Why why don't you, what don't you understand about that? (laughs) I'm just like, that sucks so bad. 
Yeah. Like, likewise with the prophecies, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he, there's an entire page here of Harry and Dumbledore arguing about how prophecies work in this story. <laughs> which would not have needed to exist if, like, there... The audience can handle ambiguous prophecies, right? Uh-huh. Like, like arguing about whether or not something was pro- like. Do you know how many times this isn't specifically prophecies, right? But like, do you know uh-huh. how many times people just like get into heated arguments online ten years later over the end of Inception <laughs> about like whether or not the spinning top falls over at the end, right? Or whether that matters. You know, there you can have. Endless conversations about that, and like, I'd rather not. <laughs> right, like, like, like <laughs> I, I'm, but I'm yes. over it. But like, I, I get it, and and that is a uh-huh. good example of something that is like a lasting image and idea in a story that people want to talk about and are willing to like close read the movie and like like come up with their own interpretations for. The thing here that is so crazy is I have never seen an author in their own text fight so hard, tooth and nail, against any ability to interpret or, like, uh, 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 close read their own work. Yeah, it feels like Dumbledore and Harry are book clubbing about this book. Yeah! Yeah, the characters are having a book club about the story they're in. Which, honestly, the way when I say that, that sounds way cooler than it is. That does sound cool. Like that's I like, love that. The, that's the last two episodes of Evangelion, sure. which I love. But uh-huh. that's not what's happening here. It is. It feels more like a hasty, like papering over of any lingering thoughts or or ideas that the audience might have that J.K. thinks are incorrect. God, that's weird. It's so weird. It is. It is. I had a really hard time. Like when I was first reading this, I was like, "Is this what this chapter is?" Like I kept turning the page, thinking. Something else was coming mm-hmm. that would make this make sense. And I, again, the only thing I can come back back to is that like evil Dumbledore uh, would make this would make this work. Uh, Do you know what's kicking my ass? What? That we got this. We get the Horcrux reveal, and next book we're getting the creation myth, Deathly Hallows. I I cannot deal with this. Yeah, book six and seven, we're getting the like most important foundations of the world building. Ah, <laughs> uh. yeah, it it is just crazy. I, I and I think to kind of go back to square one on the conversation here, uh, I I think what really, really, really just torpedoes this book in this mm-hmm. chapter is the complete lack of any wizarding world theology mm. and it, 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 it and like this is what reveals how um hard this chapter is leaning on you having these like pre-existing cultural uh ideas going into it is mm-hmm. that dumbledore is talking to a 16 year old about the nature of the soul uh-huh. and the soul as like a physical object yeah. And not once does Harry ask, what is a soul? Right. And that's just crazy to me, right? Like especially considering the Dumbledore's big reveal about Harry's special power is like your soul is so good and strong and awesome. You have yeah. the coolest soul. You have the best uh, soul ever. 
and Harry doesn't say like what does that mean? Can wizards see that like is there is there a measurable I mean there must be, right? This assumes that there is a measurable like quantitative thing that is the soul if you can necessarily put it in an object, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, if you if you can put it in an object, if you can if you can weigh light and dark in someone's soul, you know, because mm-hmm. Dumbledore is saying like, oh, the, like so many times you had the opportunity to to go dark and you never did, right? <laughs> like, like that that which we'll we'll get to that whole conversation specifically later, but that's a whole other can of worms. Um, but yeah, no, the, like like Harry Harry like the Dursleys didn't go to church, and if they did, they sure weren't taking Harry. So where is this concept of the soul coming from? Where do wizards get the concept of the soul from? And, and I know that the answer is Christianity because the author is Christian, right? Right. But she has done absolutely no groundwork here in establishing, like, what is the wizard religion? Or, like, mm-hmm. what is the understanding that wizards have of, like muggle theology and and i think that that is where this gets most interesting and 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 also where it is like most fundamentally broken is that this is a story about incredibly and i don't mean this is a value judgment i just mean this is like a like theological fact right Mm -hmm. uh a a secret society of like people that could not exist in the like quote unquote perfect christian society right like this is this is a blasphemous idea the wizarding world if if you are a like serious dyed in the wool christian uh mm-hmm. this is not biblical right but it is a world that is apparently running on christian theology uh-huh. to create a christian allegory yeah and it's like it is fundamentally like these gears do not turn together because on the one hand like like jk can't like like, and she probably had no interest in doing this this right like this isn't this isn't me like leveling and you know an accusation at her specifically but she could not in book six like do the thing that insane clown posse did and reveal that <laughs> all along this was about Christianity, right? Like she could not, she could not go full Narnia and like name God in this and like explain the, uh, uh, the relation of like, uh, um, how wizards interact with biblical understanding of the world. She's happy to do that for other cultures. She will speak for, you know, Indians and say like, oh, your magic is fake, my magic is real, but she won't do that for Christianity. For no mo- Wiccans at Hogwarts. No Wiccans at Hogwarts. She, she, but she, so she will not speak for her own worldview. No. And she will also not like. I, I think that she probably had a vested interest in not doing that because uh, uh, I think everyone, quite rightfully, would get really mad and think it was lame if if they just turned to the camera and said, "This is Narnia now," right? Like. Uh huh. So she couldn't do that. Um, I mean, it sure feels like it's Narnia now, <laughs> right? But it, but it needed to have been Narnia the whole time. Exactly, I love exactly. Narnia. Yeah, no, that's not a knock on Narnia. That's just like like Narnia sets out to do this from the, from the beginning, right? Um, whereas here we are, book six out of seven, 
And we are being told that all of the, like, bits of flotsam from, like, religious uh, uh, literature matter. Uh, and, like, like just, like, little bits and pieces that, that have floated to the top that everyone knows about Christian theology in relation to storytelling matter. But we do not have an inkling of a sliver of a sense what those things mean to the world the story is about like wizards don't go to church why like like maybe they do but we don't we've never seen that i I mean i this chapter i think this is the turning point this is this is harry potter is narnia and i think it's going to be narnia for the rest of the time because i'm pretty sure this is the moment where it's like harry is jesus he's being told that he's jesus yes in this chapter and that's the rest of the books yeah that's that's insane. Yeah. And that like, is a crazy turn to happen 74% of the way through the sixth out of seven books. Yeah. And, and again, like not, I'm not saying that that is a bad, you know, like, like just, just through the power, again, through the power of cultural osmosis, I would say probably most Western writers are going to let some christian ideology yeah but it's literal yeah exactly dumbledore and harry are saying that it's literal in this chapter if if harry just sort of became the the jesus figure uh by happenstance or like you know not in a really like you know on the nose spoken directly to the audience way it would have been fine but like like having it happen here is in the way that it happens here is so clumsy i don't know how better to describe it like this 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 chapter is like having a uh a, a like bucket of legos dumped in front of you like it's so disorganized and just all over the place i can't tell if this is writing five and a half books out of seven and being like oh shit oh shit what am i like what do i do what do i do and this is what you land on because this is your cultural context mm-hmm. i think that's more likely than her planning because because the thing is if if this was planned from the beginning, if this was truly the plan all along, we would know exactly what does a soul mean in Harry Potter? Um, what are light and dark as forces? What do that what does that mean? What are the difference between those two things? What do wizards believe theologically? Like, do wizards believe in God? That's a fascinating question for a story to answer. Uh, but Harry Potter doesn't go there, right? Um, do, uh, 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 like, Horcruxes would have been, um, on the table, you know, uh, as, as a part of the story in at least book, I want to say book two. Um, uh, and a lot of people will point to the diary. I don't believe for a second that that was in, uh, uh, planned as a Horcrux all along. I think that that was a piece of dumb luck that 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 was written so early and that she can pretend that that because that does come up in this chapter in one of the most insane parts of Dumbledore's monologue where he just like spins this crazy story about Lucius about how this is a this is a bending over backwards like this is a an explanation that Dumbledore gives that one of the only times where Harry says what that makes no sense and he has to come up with just like a bizarre answer this yeah this whole thing about how like oh okay so yes lucius did mean to give Ginny the diary but 
Lucius didn't know that it was a Horcrux, but he did know it was important because Voldemort told him it was, but he didn't think it was that important because he thought Voldemort was dead. But he did hear from Voldemort <laughs> that if he took the book to Hogwarts, it would open the Chamber of Secrets. But he also was careless with it and just threw it at a little girl. But uh, Voldemort's mad. Like, it's just, it's just complete nonsense. Like, d- if this was the <laughs> evil Dumbledore book, if this was if this was the the book I want to be reading, frankly, that would be the lie. That would be him being caught in the lie, right? Like that yeah. would be Harry going, "Hang on a second, wait a minute." But what about the diary? Um, and again, also speaking of book two, another thing that I think, just like the the like, why doesn't Voldemort make his Horcrux a grain of dust thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the most common, like, jokey criticisms of Harry Potter is, hey, if Harry is a Horcrux and the book is a Horcrux, and when he stabs the book, the Tom Riddle Horcrux dies with the bat when he stabs it with a basilisk basilisk fang, why didn't the Horcrux in him die when he got stabbed with a basilisk fang? Because mm-hmm. it is an explicit piece of the Harry Potter lore that the basilisk venom destroys Horcruxes. Right. Uh, so, question mark? <laughs> like, like again, elevated from jokey uh, criticism that can be deflected with, well, it needs to happen that way for the sake of the story, to actually, right. yeah, why does it work that way? Right. Yeah. Um, <sighs> I just, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm, like, all over the place here, but I just have, like, just this this huge list of just things that, like, are unraveling in this chapter for me. Yeah, I think this is is the chapter where everything falls apart, like just completely. Um, what about the? Uh, so we talked about how Voldemort. Or, <laughs> I keep mixing them up. They might as well be the same character at this point. Dumbledore. Uh-huh. When Dumbledore has already explained that Voldemort is, of course, a cartoon serial killer and loves to collect right. trophies. Yeah, and he he says he says Voldemort's character to us. Uh-huh. How about the follow up to that, where not only does Harry in the text notice, hang on a second, but also isn't there the Sorcerer's Stone that can make you immortal, and the good guy was oh, immortal? I forgot all about that. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's this whole part. Uh, no, no, that wouldn't work. He likes to work alone, um, except for the people that he works with and relies on. <laughs> what? Voldemort hates drinking stuff. <laughs> Voldemort hates drinking stuff, and he likes to work alone, even though everything we know is to the contrary of that. And also, his whole the whole thing that makes Voldemort evil is his desire for eternal life, to mm-hmm. cheat death. But also, right. the good guy was doing that for 600 years, and we like Nicholas Flamel, and the Sorcerer's Stone is inherently evil. So, mm, this is, this is again, this is another part of the, like, Christian morality thing, where you just have to, it is, like, implied, I guess, that there is, like, good immortality and bad immortality, and good immortality is everlasting life in heaven, right? Like, you suffer in this life... Uh, and serve God, and then you you earn your place in heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, and Voldemort doesn't want to do that. He wants to cheat. He wants to be immortal now, uh, and, and right. in in the in the physical realm. <laughs> and like, 
I understand as someone who has read a lot of books that like are inspired by Christian literature that that is the case. But the Harry Potter, for all the pieces in this chapter that are being explicitly outlined, the most important things are not being outlined, which is what is the nature of the soul? What is wrong? What is the difference between light and dark magic? And what is the difference between good immortality and bad immortality? These are like, I think the three key thematic questions that could be really interesting in this series that the series has had the opportunity to dive into. I mean, like the mirror of Eriset gets into this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like the, um, the, the pieces are there for you to like answer these questions in a really interesting way, utilizing what exists in this story. But, but those are like the three massive blind spots in this chapter that are just assumed because because I guess it is it is just meant to be like, well, you've read you went to Sunday school, you've read the Bible, you figure it out. That's you're, you're up on this stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, you 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 understand what the nature of a soul is. It it makes me crazy that we kind of get explained what horcruxes are in the same chapter that we have ghosts and portraits taking an active role in this book. Yeah. Yeah, that is, uh, like, just like the mention of the Sorcerer's Stone, I just don't know what to think of that. Like, surely that's intentional? Though, I, I, but, like, it can't be, because it doesn't go anywhere. I, like, what does this say about the paintings, and about... It re- it reads like Dumbledore is lying, because it makes no sense. On the same page that all of the headmaster portraits in the office are listening intently to this conversation between Harry and Dumbledore, Dumbledore clarifies that a mere memory could never act and think for itself. Right. and As evidence as to why the diary was a horcrux instead of just a memory, except we see portraits act and think for themselves all the time, and we also see ghosts act and think for themselves in this chapter. <laughs> yeah. It it reads as a lie. Yeah, it, it reads as a total lie and a, like a total manipulation. It's weird that Harry, again, w- Harry, the, the, the appearance of those characters at the beginning of the chapter would make sense if Harry at least asked, what about the ghosts? What about the paintings that are like here? Like, I, I, I'm... I'm shocked that these two things are like in such close proximity. Um, and I mean, she has explained what the answer is, right? About the portraits. K- kind of. I, I don't think she's explained in a way that is like going to satisfy our question about it. I think she's no, absolutely not. But she, yes, she has, she has like explain, and like this is, I think why this um, this bothers me so much here specifically is because it is a real knock-on effect from something that has already bothered me about this series, which is, like, it is difficult to write a story about, like, the significance and trauma of loss of other people that you love in a world where there are paintings and ghosts and the resurrection stone and the uh the the reverse gun spell that shows you the ghosts of people again 
<laughs> and the ghosts that are coming from heaven to save your life. Yeah, uh-huh. and the photographs and like it is. And, oh, and action figures of Victor Crumb. Like, right? Yeah, <laughs> there are so many instances of like some form of non-evil eternal life in this series that Voldemort's plan doesn't like like why doesn't he just like couldn't he just do like a reverse portrait of dorian gray like couldn't he just like (laughs) so ah my body will die but i'll have a sick ass painting of myself that will rule the world right like what's stopping him from doing that i i don't know (laughs) it is really bad i think i think it is like a really bad sign when your chapter that is meant to be like the you know the big reveal like the, the the dramatic removing of the cloth and like here here's what here's the answers you've been waiting for all these here's years here's the real shit yeah i'm just left with more questions like this hasn't answered anything for me it it has just made me confused about the nature of the world which is a bad place to be in uh 6 sevenths of the way through the story it's a, it has a real unique side effect of also making it feel like books four, four and five were just like filler. Yeah, yeah. Walk me through that because I agree, but I, I want to know your thoughts on this. And they're not like fully formed, but as Dumbledore is kind of explaining, and it, and it really is supposed to be this big moment of here's everything that has been happening, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like I really get that feeling from this is that we're supposed to be going like. Uh, oh, this is the putting the pieces together. This is what this is what's been going on. But the only thing that it really is is Chamber of Secrets. We only get an explanation for book two, <laughs> right? And I'm, I'm, I'm one that is like remarkably unsatisfactory, right? Yeah, it makes no sense. Yeah, it, it, it again raises more questions than than it answers. Uh, I yeah, it is. I, yeah, I'm just like walking through. Like, I've, I have my notes here, and I'm just like, do, do you want to hear like all the questions I wrote for myself here? Yeah. Okay. Uh, why draw attention to something that would be a passing joke criticism? Uh, mm-hmm. What's the deal with prophecies? Why not leave this ambiguous? Uh, why bring up the sorcerer's stone? Uh, what are ghosts? What are paintings? Uh, why do both of them explicitly ap- appear in this chapter? Uh, what is the difference between good and evil immortality? Uh, what What's the deal with photos? Do beasts have souls? Because, mm. again, this is a serious, like, like, tugging my collar a little bit here. Like, like if this is, like, full-on, like, like, Christian only humans have souls kind of stuff. Like, where does that leave Dobby? Where does that leave my man Ferenz, right? Dobby! Yeah, Dobby! Dobby deserves eternal paradise. Like, that list of questions is a bad place for me to be in in the chapter that's supposed to be the reveal about these things, right? Like, these are Mm -hmm. all awesome questions to have in, like, book one and two, (laughs) right? Like, I would be so excited walking away from the first book in a series with those questions. (laughs) It's such a, it's such a hilarious uh, version of Harry being, like, ushered into the wizarding world from going to Sunday school with the Dursleys and having Dumbledore be like, guess what? God is real. <laughs> <laughs> I wish he did, though. If, 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 we, if we are going to be getting these concrete answers, I wish Dumbledore sat Harry the fuck down and said, like, Harry, God is real. 
I'm the wizard pope. <laughs> I'm the wizard pope. You are the son Welcome of God. Welcome to the Vatican school. <laughs> I'd be, I'd... Voldemort is the devil, and he's trying to take take over the Vatican school. So the soul is like the Holy Spirit. Uh, God is the father. Uh, uh-huh. And you are the son. Now, that might sound clear. However, I have this handy-dandy chart here that explains that actually it's way more complicated because all of those things are God at once. Are you listening, Harry? <laughs> are, are you paying attention? Yeah. Just absolutely crazy. I do want to talk about this a little bit um, in the context of the narrative of book six. Yeah. Yeah. This book doesn't have a story. <laughs> I've noticed. <laughs> mm-hmm. I said earlier that reading this feels like the reading the twist of a book we didn't read. And I know that I talked about this at the end of Order of the Phoenix, where it felt like it was Dumbledore's book that we didn't get to see. Yeah. This is that times 10. Yeah. Dumbledore went on a quest off screen, did all of this like detective work, digging, learned all these clues and is like telling us how that went. Yeah. You can't do that. (laughs) And the rest of the story is Draco also repairing a cabinet and there are going to be some soldiers coming out to kill people at the school. That's the book. That's the whole thing. I can't believe it. That's the book. Yeah, this this could have been the conversation that Harry and Dumbledore had at the beginning of the book. I mean, again, I know I know that I'm just in like rewrite mode here. But, like, if Dumbledore had picked Harry up and taken him to Slughorn's house or whatever to, like, convince him to, instead of becoming a, a professor, say that was already, like, a foregone conclusion. He's like, I gotta, I gotta use you for something else here. And he mm-hmm. had that conversation with, with Slughorn, with Harry there, and schmoozed him into giving him the memory at the beginning of the book. And Harry spent the whole book going, like, damn, what was in that memory? What was, what's, what's going on here? Maybe that's how you arrange this to make what's in the book compelling as like a coherent narrative. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I can think of. Because as it stands, you're completely correct. Like this, nothing has happened in this book. And like, I, I want to be careful with that criticism coming from me because I, I, I like stories where nothing happens, right? I like a good episode of Mad Men where it's just character development for an hour. Oh, yeah. Really great character development in this one. <laughs> just kidding. It sucks. <laughs> right. And that's the problem uh, is that uh, we don't get any. There's not like we're getting anything else here. We're just getting these like wheel spinning mini stories that aren't going anywhere because they can't go anywhere until Harry gets this information. This book is just all about lore. This is just. This is lore, lore the book. But it is lo- none of the lore you want. And I think that that's what makes it so infuriating is that all of the lore, all of the like concrete lore here fits into that thing I was talking about where it is just arguing with its own potential plot holes, right? Like it is, uh, it is dispensing lore to remove any shadow of a doubt about how, uh, uh, anything that has happened previously could possibly affect the present. Whereas the lore that I want to know and is like, I think critical at this point is to know again, my list of questions, what's the deal with the paintings? What's the deal with immortality? What is the nature of the soul? Do wizards believe in God? Right? Like these are, these are 
the most pressing questions I have that I know the series has no interest in answering. And that's a bummer, I guess. I want to take the temperature Mm -hmm. on how uncomfortable you were reading the part about Voldemort making Nagini into a Horcrux, knowing what we know about how she's a human woman. Insane. Crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. I I know that the I, 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 I the answer is, and like this is not a good answer, but I know that this is the <laughs> answer, is that being a maledictus or whatever uh, uh, J.K. Rowling calls it is that like the curse is that you lose your humanity or whatever, and I guess that means you lose. Is it? Yeah, like you're you're cursed to forever. Like like you like you'll keep like you can transform, but it's not like being an animagus because it's not. At will, except sometimes in the movie it is at will. Oh, so it's like evil Animagus, kind of like Horcruxes are evil immortality. Exactly. It is Animaguses are good and Maledicti are the same but bad for... And also you have no control over it because it's a blood curse that runs in your family. Right, except sometimes you do because there, uh, uh, she'll, she does it at will in the circus. But right, <laughs> but I guess that will change. It's a fucking mess, right? But just yeah, like that is really bad. That yeah, very uncomfortable is the way to put it. Like like knowing that Nagini is a human woman and one of the only Asian characters with the speaking role in the series as well. Like just being like, oh, and she also has no soul anymore. Like okay, cool. Great job. Thank you. Is I also think that it's it is weird in that context that it specifically points out here that Dumbledore thinks that she's the only thing that Voldemort has a fondness for, right? Because Voldemort is incapable of love, right? Mm-hmm. He it, it kind of I mean, if she's a snake, it reads as like he he's evil, but he just likes his pet, right? Like that's a normal trope i yeah. suppose yeah and it's like he only the only thing that he has affection for is this evil snake and it's like that's cool i get like i like that way more because that's like cartoon villain versus serial killer ted bundy <laughs> thing that he's got going on mm-hmm. um but knowing that it is a woman who i think we know he knew as a person i think I could be wrong about that. I'm unsure. I don't know. I I think it's kind of unclear at this point whether he Or no or knows that she was. Yeah, I think that might be. I think I think he knows that she was a maledictus, at least. I think that this is I guess it I, I guess it just ends up reading like like Nagini is his evil wife. <laughs> it is I, I think I, I could be wrong, but I'm remembering back to when people were like theorizing over the end of Crimes of Grindelwald. And people were going, oh, this whole series is going to end with, like, Tom Riddle meeting the snake or something, right? Yeah. I, th- I think that's kind of been, like, the the billboard this whole time with that stuff, but I could be wrong. But I think it's, it's, it's very uncomfortable either way. And, and really, again, I think highlights just how... Because here's the thing. I think, actually... 
I just remembered this this little detail here. It doesn't matter whether it's that supported in the text, because J.K. Rowling herself says that uh, she was sitting on the Nagini reveal for years. Oh yeah. So if we are to take her at her word, which to be fair, I have stated very plainly in this episode, I think is not true. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. But if we take her narrative as gospel here, what she is saying is. When she wrote this, she knew that Nagini was a human woman. So it's it's very funny because I remember reading a lot when we watched Fantastic Beasts 2, The Crimes of Grindelwald, because there were a lot of people having arguments back and forth about whether or not that was bullshit. Um, and a lot of people pointed toward Nagini having more like will or like understanding than like a snake would Mm -hmm. and the and the fact that Voldemort like had control over her as like the reason even though in this text it says that the reason that he does is because she has a horcrux in her and also other snakes are people yes we have like like we have met other snakes canonically they have language (laughs) and are persons in the first book like, that's how Harry realizes something's going on with his brain powers, right? Like, oh, he talks to a damn snake and he makes the glass disappear. Yeah. So he's, and the, and the, the snake says, I want to go to Borneo. And then he says, thanks, amigo, as he leaves. <laughs> <laughs> that's canon. <laughs> that's in the damn book. Ah, uh, Voldemort sure has unusual control over over the snake that he likes a lot. Uh, please ignore the other time that he had unusual control over a snake, which was the basilisk in the Chamber of Secrets that did everything that he said. <sighs> yeah. Related to this and the, the, the Nagini thing, I think, another part that made me intensely uncomfortable with the way the story is going mm-hmm. is this idea that Harry is a unique and powerful individual for having gone through a lot of shit and not going postal yeah that is a really like that is particularly i think in this book there is a weird and i'm going to be charitable and say accidental okay contempt for people who are suffering i want to go way back to the Meropi stuff here Mm-hmm. But the conversation that Dumbledore and Harry had about Merope and how, uh, what you know, what a shitty mom she was, how all of this could have been prevented if the, if she had loved Voldemort as a child, right? Um, mm-hmm. And how Voldemort became a serial killer because he was conceived without love because his mom used love potion or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, which again, you know, that has its own set of really nasty implications here right but so there's there's a like there's kind of a russian nesting doll of nastiness going on here oh yes but this idea that um because harry has gone through so much shit he should be evil by now (laughs) is fucking insane to me (laughs) like and and that is there there is like (laughs) sort of precedent for that i guess with like the theological stuff that's been going on here except that like i think generally when you know we're talking about characters who were just like put through the ringer and and lose faith or whatever we're more talking about like despair and losing faith right we're not talking uh-huh. about them becoming 
the Joker because some bad stuff happened to them. Like this is this, this isn't is... the Batman one bad day thing. I don't think that's not what like Job is about. I d- it is a really weird way to frame Harry's quote unquote superpower here. It's like, damn Harry, you you you're an orphan. You get some bad grades in some classes. You stubbed your toe earlier, and you haven't shot up the school. You're like. That's crazy, man. You're good. Your soul is so powerful. Yeah. It's so powerful and good. Walking up to Harry nailed on the cross and being like, aren't you evil yet? Wow, you're not? <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> you know, I saw you turn some, I, 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 I saw you turn barely any food into a whole feast for a crowd of people. I'm surprised you didn't turn all these Romans into frogs or whatever. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> you do still want to kill Voldemort, though, right? <laughs> You are? Yes, that's, yeah, the one thing we know about Jesus is that he came out of the cave after the resurrection (laughs) and said, where is that motherfucker Judas? I'm going to whip his ass. Everyone else, my soul, my soul is pure. I have nothing but love in my heart for all of creation. Uh, It is on site with (laughs) Judas. If he walks into my office, I'm blowing his head off. (laughs) That is how it went down. I'm gonna I'm gonna make you to suffer and I'm gonna laugh laugh so hard. It's gonna be badass the way I deal with Judas. Hmm. <laughs> Just another piece of this like weird theologically based story falling apart is it's like you can't if you're going if you're going far enough to, like, have the characters say, like, ah, and seven is a holy number out loud to each other, you can't also do, and the most important thing for you to remember, Harry, is that you should love everyone, except you should real, you should just fucking go ham on Voldemort. Your enemies? <laughs> do, like, you should turn the other cheek, except Voldemort? Oh my god, you should just, you should whip his ass up and down the street. You've got to make it hurt <laughs> with him. We got to get this guy, but remember, you must collect the seven medallions before you can attack his body. Can we talk about that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, Because yes. I read that paragraph like five times, and I have to say, I have to say, it seems like the better strategy to kill his body first, because that's the thing he's using to go around terrorizing <laughs> people right now. Like, yeah. like that is the... Like, sentient walk around killing people. He's doing all this sicko stuff. He's making kids kill their grandparents. He's making, he's killed the Montgomery sisters, like, little kid, um, (laughs) brother. And it's like, we got to stop this body that's walking around doing all this sicko stuff. And then we can track down the Horcruxes. Yeah, remember how for the past 15 years the war was over? The Horcruxes. Yeah, they had like a whole fifteen years of breathing room here. <laughs> they had they had parties in the street because the body was dead. <laughs> we gotta track down these objects. That's gonna be hard. But maybe worry about this body running around doing doing terror and war right now. Yeah. What if you had another fifteen years or so to find all of the Horcruxes instead of having to find them all in the next two chapters or whatever? Again, this is this is a like stupid like because obviously they're like the MacGuffins of the story. You got to get them, and then you got to go go to Mordor or whatever, and then you can kill Voldemort. I get mm-hmm. that. 
don't have Dumbledore explain it, though, because it makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, just it, it, again, back to what I was saying earlier about like, this is the thing that would be really exciting at the beginning of a video game. If, mm-hmm. if you know, if Dumbledore was sitting me down and saying, Harry, the final boss is Voldemort. You cannot defeat him yet. Mm-mm. But no. if you go to the seven dungeons and you get seven cool items, right. you might just have a chance of defeating him. Uh-huh. Uh that that sure. I'll buy that. But but we, again, we have yeah, like you say just like the president. We we have 15 years of peace that happened while the horcruxes still existed cuz the body wasn't around. So it just doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, I guess you just have to you have to have I mean, if you do need to explain it for whatever reason in this moment, you just need to make his body invincible. Until you've killed those other things, yeah. right? Yes, that's so yes. video gamey, but yeah, but like that's that's that again, like so many things in this chapter, that is an explanation that I can buy for the sake of a story. That by not doing it that way, the questions I have are worse for the story, right? Like this is exactly the mm-hmm. same as the why doesn't you know why doesn't uh, Voldemort make a Horcrux out of a out of a like molecule or whatever. It's like, well, because then there wouldn't be a story and, and right. we wouldn't learn anything about Voldemort as a character. But by having Dumbledore say like, ah, I think that he chose these n- easy to find objects that have significance <laughs> to the story and his character is because he is Ted Bundy and he loves trophies. Right. Yeah. It's <sighs> okay. We could probably spin our wheels on this for eternity, but I would like uh-huh. to take a moment to talk about something that is not quite addressed in this chapter satisfactorily. Okay. And that is how Horcruxes are created. Yeah. We have alluded to this in previous episodes, um, but there is a quote that has been floating around for a long, long time about how uh, the creation of Horcruxes is so vile and disgusting that it made J.K. Rowling's editor vomit when she told her what it was. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, much like uh, the Nagini stuff and the Horcruxes being planned all along stuff, I don't believe that for a moment. I think that is fake. Uh, but it is an idea that has been very tantalizing mm. um, for the Harry Potter community. And I know, I know that we have sort of gotten into this before, but... Uh, I would like to read a Reddit post about uh, the theory that some Redditors have on how to make a Horcrux. I am so looking forward to that. This chapter, though, has raised this question to me. Mm. It says in here how you make one. Yeah. Why did she then later (laughs) say that it's secret and different? Like, I know we didn't get the literal steps, like Wonder Book style. Mm -hmm. But you have to kill. You have to kill someone. Yeah. You have to. You have to violate the "Thou shalt not kill" commandment from God. Yeah. Yeah. And kill someone, and sacrifice your eternal soul. Well, don't worry. We get a very long quote from J.K. Rowling here. That why that... <laughs> it says in here. It says how you do it. You kill someone, and then and then Harry goes. He made seven? That's horrible. You'd have to kill seven people. I can't believe this. Okay, please continue. Okay, I just want to throw up a a content warning here. Um, This post is a little gross. 
Um, but it is it is too important to not read. Let's see if I I'll see if I vomit during oh, it. Oh yeah, it's so fucked up. Um, this is called Not Safe for Work, Theory on How to Make Horcruxes. God damn it. <laughs> Here's my theory on the process that goes into making a horcrux. I tried posting this on 4chan a few years ago. No fan site would accept it at the time. But I didn't get a lot of response, so I'm posting it here. Oh, I'm really surprised the the, the folks at 4chan weren't interested in this. <laughs> Reader be warned. This will probably be a lot more graphic than most posts on this subreddit. But I'm pretty sure this theory holds some water. Okay. First, we start with a quote from J.K. Rowling herself. I see making a horcrux as a series of things you would have to do. So you would have to perform a spell, but you would also... I don't even know if I want to say it out loud. I know that sounds funny, but I did really think it through. There are two things I think that are too horrible, actually, to go into detail about. One of them is how Pettigrew brought Voldemort back into a rudimentary body. Because I told my uh, editor what ha- what I thought happened there... And she, and she looked as though she was going to vomit. And the other... Th- Wait, we saw that too. Yeah, we saw that in explicit detail in one of the creepiest parts of the series. Uh, and then the other thing is how you make a horcrux. So, the big question is, what's this mysterious act that was so bad, it was worse than self-mutilation, grave robbing, and blood theft, and so bad that J.K. Rowling couldn't even put it in the books? This part's just for you. I got this idea while watching Criminal Minds. You are kidding. Are you joking me? No, I am not. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that this points to the fact that Voldemort is a psychopathic sexual sadist and that this unspeakable act in the Horcrux making process is some sort of sex act. The Horcruxes themselves are already analogous to the trophies that some serial killers take from their victims to preserve their feeling of the kill, except they're obviously used for a more literal immortality in the books. Many serial killers take this a step further and use the thrill of the kill for their own twisted sexual desires, masturbating next to the body, having sex with the body, etc., Not only does this theory continue the obvious comparison between Voldemort and serial killers, but it definitely fits the bill of being one of the few things worse than everything that went into resurrecting Voldemort. TLDR, the steps to Horcrux creation are this. 1. Commit a murder to split your soul. 2. Reach a point of complete ecstasy to prepare your soul, (laughs) i.e. some sort of sexual act. Three, cast the spell that takes part of your split soul and seals it into an object. The sexual act is most likely masturbation <laughs> next to the body, then then sex with the body, since the muggle police would have noticed if the Riddle's bodies had been violated. Young Tom Riddle could have easily cleaned up the evidence using Evanesco. <laughs> Additionally, even though Voldemort can't feel love, he has mentioned that he understands sexual desire and assumed that that was... Wait, what? (laughs) I can't wait to get to that part. I want to know where Voldemort (laughs) is like, ah, I know what fucking is. (laughs) Is that something that we overhear when when they're like kidnapped in Malfoy Manor is like a a separate conversation Voldemort is having with someone? I don't, I can't imagine where that would come up. (laughs) Well, we get a clue here, but I I don't remember this at all. He mentioned he understands sexual desire and assumed that was all Snape felt towards Lily. I don't remember that exchange at all. 
I can't wait to get there though. Just hold up and like, oh, you just wanted to, you just wanted to blow <laughs> Lily's back out. <laughs> you didn't really love her. <laughs> Voldemort's That's ultimate so taunt. <laughs> so there you have it, folks. Remember, this universe was created by the woman who wrote the Casual Vacancy. So anything is possible. What? I read the Casual Vacancy. They say like cuss words in it. Yeah, I think that I think I think if I re- I haven't read the Casual Vacancy, but I remember a lot of people on the subreddit go like, "There's a part where they find a used condom in that book. That's fucking crazy." Right. That's crazy. Yeah, that is pretty crazy. This this post is like this is the top result if you search by all time for Horcruxes on the subreddit. Uh, wonderful. Um, the top comment is wickedly awesome. Oh. <laughs> I would like to add that it's my head canon that Bertha Jorkins was pregnant when Wormtail killed her, and they used her fetus to get rid of his rudimentary body before the ritual in the graveyard. You know, alrighty. <sighs> I have been sitting on that one for so long because of the Criminal Minds reference. I, that's, that's really something. I love when people, I already like when people write, um, they're just like wild nonsense based on nothing and frame it as a theory. Yeah. With something like Voldemort could have used Evanesco to like clean up his cum <laughs> after <laughs> After this, and like that's my theory, based on evidence. <laughs> yeah, 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 probably. I won't read them all in detail, but I would just like to to share that the other top results um, are a a thread theorizing that it was cannibalism, uh, and and multiple other ones that suggest that it is some form of necrophilia or or jacking off, um, just busting one out before casting the spell. Sure, whatever. Um, I these people just need to write their own story. Like, yeah, it's gonna be real fucked up. It's gonna be about some real sickos. It sounds yeah, like. Yeah, well, they're they're free to write some books about some sicko serial killer. Just <laughs> the idea that like this is this is what needs to be in Harry Potter is uh, certainly a take. I would say. It sounds like Voldemort's a real sicko. Voldemort is a fucking sicko, and I can't wait for Harry. To, to come out of the cave and say, you know what? It's time to fucking <laughs> put a cap in this sicko and end him once and for all. We've got to put this guy down. <laughs> I can't believe what happened to Voldemort's character in this book. Yeah. Remember when he was a cartoon? It was so, it was earnestly so cool when he was just like a cartoon guy that like wanted to live forever and would do anything to do that. Yeah, that was cool. That was neat. And he was like kind of, he was like, you know, he was a little bit campy, uh, and he liked to he liked to give big speeches. That was fun. Uh-huh. I can't believe I complained about that in book four. Now, honestly, I would gi- I would give anything to just go back to Voldemort, like vamping it up in a courtyard, going like, "Ah, my friends, I want to live forever." Yeah, like of other than like I wanted that, not this. You know? Yeah, we had a little laugh about how he was like barefoot the whole time. Yeah, that was that was good times. Yeah, I'll, take me back. Take me back to, to greener pastures, please. <laughs> well, I think uh, we need to take a break before we uh, uh, just go on about this chapter forever. But um, once again, I feel vindicated. This this really was the the part that sowed the seeds of my like unhappiness with this series, even even as a child. 
I have a most highlighted passage <sighs> in the Ooh. Kindle edition. Ooh, please. Of Half Blood Prince, and I haven't had one in in a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, this one is, uh. After, it's at the very end, and after Harry and Dumbledore talk, and Harry's like, well, the prophecy might not be real, or rather Voldemort made it real, um, but but we are gonna, one of us is gonna kill the other. And the part that's highlighted um, is, but he understood at last what Dumbledore had been trying to tell him. It was, he thought, the difference between being dragged into the arena to face a battle to the death and walking into the arena with your head held high. Which I would also highlight because I don't understand it. <laughs> it is, is that what this is about? I, so here's the thing about that passage specifically that I find so funny. Is that I think that image is really interesting. Um, mm -hmm. The idea that like if something is inevitable, you might as well, you know, go in as strong as possible, right? Like that's yeah. that's a theme. However, the like paragraphs that immediately precede that are Dumbledore yelling at Harry that none of this was predestined and like prophecies are fake and that yeah and then to have Harry immediately conjure this imagery of, of basically facing your own execution with your head held high is kind of wild yeah I yeah well that's the good god that is a whole there's a whole other thing I could ramble about for at least 45 minutes but we should probably take a break here. What do you say? Yeah, yeah. All right. We will be back with something a little lighter uh, after this. All right. I will count us in. We will go in one and two and three and four. And I said four and. I yeah, said it I, out loud. I, I, yep, I went on on three, so. All right. Well, we're keeping this in because uh -huh. it's kind of blessed. And mm. we, we need some, I think we need, all need some blessings at the moment. That's right. Um, we tried our best last week to have a third segment that was a little uh, less <laughs> abject, uh, abjectly horrifying than the last two before had been. Very glad that I haven't received any photos of our of our cocktail yet. Yeah, I'm, I, I think the people are are heeding our advice, uh, uh, and you know, not not drinking whatever it, whatever the hell that thing we made last week was. Um, I have endeavored to find something lighter to do this week once more. Um, I don't know if I have completely succeeded. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's pretty funny. Uh, so you know how we have been having a good time reading those, uh, uh, Picket is an INTJ articles and so on that we found on MuggleNet? Yeah. Screen Rant, uh, that wonderful website has stolen this idea. No! Completely swaggerjacked MuggleNet here. That's so messed up. Um, but they've done it in reverse. And they have created what Harry Potter creature you are based on your MBTI. Wonderful. 
Now, one of my favorite things about this is that anytime MBTI or Myers-Briggs appears in this article, they put the registered trademark symbol next to it. Hmm. So you know they're serious. That's right. They're doing this legit, unlike MuggleNet. Um, <laughs> and the way I would like to go through this article that I think would be fun is uh, I'm going to read you the creature, and then I want you to guess what Screen Rant thinks they are. That's going to be very hard, but I accept the challenge. Well, and then I will, and then of course I, I will read what they've put here. But I, 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 I wanted to turn this into a little game. I think. Okay, let me pull up the bullshit chart. Yeah, yeah. Five personalities. Yeah, open. This is an open book test for sure. What is My, Myers Briggs personalities? All. God, this is so stupid. Okay, I got it. I got it. I got it. All right. Uh, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter has entertained fans around the world with its fantastic setting and lovable characters. Mm. Beams and facts. Mm -hmm. The series has laid a long-running groundwork for generations of fans. Uh, one of the series' defining characteristics is its love of fantastic beasts, creatures, and monsters. That's, that's in parallel with themes, characters, and facts. That's right. Beast creatures and monsters. <laughs> the entire basis of the current spinoff is about Newt's commander, a magizoologist with who studies fantastic beasts. Combining this love of magical creatures with Myers Briggs personality types fits right into the interests of Harry Potter fans who love finding ways to identify with this series. That is such a like hidden insult. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Combine y'all, you'll eat fucking anything. <laughs> like, you love this bullshit, don't you? <laughs> All right. Uh, number 10, centaurs. What do you think they have put centaurs down as here? All right. Let's go through the list. We've got extroverted versus introverted. They're obviously introverted. So that's going to mm -hmm. be an I. Uh, sensing versus intuition. This is meaningless. Mm. Um, yep. I mean, they sense the stars, right? Like, that's that's their thing. Yeah. But it is an intuition, but they're also right all the time. And they're not feeling, they're not feeling the stars. They're not like, I feel like Mercury is in retrograde, so this is going to happen. So I'm going to go with sensing. So I've got IS, thinking versus feeling. I'm going to go with thinking, IST, and... P for perceiving. INSP. Okay. Uh, here's how I'm going to score this. Uh, you okay. got two out of four right there. Uh, let me pull up a document here. I'm going to score this. Oh, you... I, I screwed up. I screwed up. Okay. Because I'm like mixing up my letters. So I need to like take notes. So what okay. my, my real guess is I. S. Mm -hmm. T. Okay. P. Okay. So I, I mixed a couple of them up. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, you still got uh, two out of four there. Okay, fair enough. According to Screen Rant, they are ESTJ. Uh, for the record, I completely agree with you. These centaurs are e introverted, not extroverted. If yeah. we are, because they hide in the woods and they don't like people. Right. I mean, this is assuming that we're not really looking at them as individuals, <laughs> which. Hmm. <laughs> Centaurs are half-men and half-horse beings who often live cut off from the rest of wizards and muggle societies. 
Uh, their strong tribal bonds keep them together as they hold tight to their beliefs and traditions. They are renowned for their groups. If this creature were to be identified by a specific Myers-Briggs personality, it would have to be ESTJ. This personality type's be type believes in rigid structure and order, leading others through this set of values. They like to remain grounded in reality and strong plans. Though some centaurs have an interest in prophecies, they certainly don't fret over them. I strongly disagree with this characterization. Yeah, what? Their entire deal is like moon worship. That's their whole setup. Yeah, that's their whole deal is like astrology. It's cool. Uh so yeah, I I I do not do, I do not agree. I'm sorry to do this, but you do only get 2 out of 4 on that one. That's all right. Number 9. How do you think owls fit into the Myers-Briggs? Okay, well, they're introverted because they're mostly solo, I think. I don't think that, they're very social creatures. That's right. I, they're sensing because they're animals. Okay. I don't feel like I have to explain. Sure. They're feeling because they're animals. <laughs> okay. I don't, I don't think I have to explain. <laughs> and they're perceiving because they're animals. So I don't think I have to explain. Your ISFP. ISFP. Um, let's see. Oh, only one out of four here. Mm, interesting. According to Screen Rant, owls are INTJ. What? Oh, <laughs> the, the stare. I should have known. The I, they have the INTJ stare, which is right. really mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Big, well, they might, big whiff for me. They may, might not be as fantastical as some beasts. Owls remain mysterious animals who have personalities all their own. Hedwig, for example, is a character all her own in both the book and film adaptations. <laughs> okay. She's like the one named owl. Out of, <laughs> okay, there's like maybe two, three. We got what? Pigwidgeon. Uh, Errol. Errol. That's three. That's three owls. That's right. The owls residing in Hogwarts Owlry would definitely be identified as INTJ. This classification is regarded as incredibly logical, fitting with the studious symbology of these animals. Uh, yeah, Hedwig has a Hedwig has a logic rant channel on YouTube. <laughs> the Hedwig rant sona. Uh huh. <laughs> Strategic, logical, and analytical, these birds would be remarked as the masterminds of personality types. So yeah, so one out of four for you here. Uh, again, I am simply playing by the rules that have been laid down by Screen Rant <laughs> here. I do not endorse these answers. Okay. How do you feel about Thestrals? Cool. Yeah. They're horses. Yeah. And they're cool horses. They're like lizard horses sure. They've with got wings. wings. It's badass. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that they're extroverted because horses like to hang out with other horses. Okay. I'm going to have a hard time with the other ones because I'm pretty sure that you just have to go <laughs> sensing, feeling, perceiving since they're animals. animals. <laughs> is, that, is that unfair? I think, I think I agree with you, but I think that we have... We have we are in Screen Rant's world now. Okay. Um, and that sort of logic is just not going to play here. I'm starting to think that the Myers Briggs personality types are bullshit. Yeah, it's almost like this is completely fake and doesn't mean anything. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so <sighs> sensing versus intuition. 
I guess they could be intuitive about where the their meat is to eat. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess they could be intuitive about people because sometimes people think of that about horses, right? Is that like a horse can tell if you're good or bad, right? You know. Okay, yeah. so let, so I'll do that. They're extroverted because they live in herds. Um, and they're intuitive, so that's N. Um, and are they thinking or feeling? Um, I think they're feeling. I think people think horses are very sensitive creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and Thestrals are just scary horses. <laughs> um, and they're judging because they're judging um, whether you have seen a dead person or not. Ooh, I like that. I really like that. Uh-huh. Okay, so what does that come to? Uh, ENFJ. Three out of four. Mm. Yeah, uh, they're listed as INFJ here. Bullshit. They yeah. hang out together. Yeah, they're hanging out in herds. I agree. But nonetheless. I know they're shy to humans. Yeah. But still. But so are horses, and yeah. horses hang out in herds. They're social creatures. At first jarring, Thestrals seem to be incredibly gentle and compassionate creatures, only able to be seen by those who've witnessed death. Theatrals, they spelled it wrong, uh, bring with them deep emotional understanding. Because of this, these creatures would be paired with the INFJ personality type. These types are identified by their nurturing ability and sense of compassion. Reserved and private, they rarely show their cards to everyone, but when they do, it is on a deep emotional level. Hmm. Beautiful. Powerful. Next up, hippogriffs. A lot of animals, I'm noticing. Yeah, I mean, it does say which Harry Potter creature are you based on. Yeah, but the first one was centaurs, and they are people. They're people, yeah, yeah, you're right, yes, yeah. I don't know how social hippogriffs are. I'm gonna, I feel like I'm going to say extroverted because they have like social rituals that they have with mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know whether or not that brings them energy. I don't know if that refills their batteries, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to go ahead and say extroverted because how, they how many inter- spoons does Buckbeak have? Exactly, exactly. I don't. I can't speak to that. I'm going to go ahead and say extroverted um, because they like to hang out and bow at each other or whatever. Um. I think they have to be intuitive because they intuit whether or not you, like, respect them personally, right? Yeah, I could see that. But, I mean, I guess you could also, like, sense whether someone respects you. Yeah, you could also feel whether they respect yeah, you. Yeah, again, or we're, you could th- I think or we're you revealing could think a lot. they respect you. <laughs> we're revealing a lot about uh, how the Myers-Briggs test makes no sense here. Or maybe. they could perceive if there's if you respect them. Interesting. <laughs> right. Um, I'm going to go ahead and use that one on intuition, though. And I'm going to go ahead and say that they are thinking, because I think they have wise eyes. Yes. You know, you just look, you just look at Buckbeak and you're like, he's got some thoughts going on right now what is he um, thinking I, and i'm gonna say that he um i'm gonna say he's judging because he judged that malfoy was to be killed and <laughs> attempted <laughs> to execute him um, so i'm gonna say he's an entj Ooh, two out of four what yeah he's estp according to uh this, this ah, quiz. so he's sensing whether or not you respect him. I see, I see, I see where I went wrong. And perceiving that Malfoy should be executed. 
One of the more thrilling sequences in any Harry Potter film has to be Buckbeak's flight in Prisoner of Azkaban. This moment was full of spirit and energy and was defined by the pure freedom felt by both Buckbeak and Harry. This sense of personal freedom and thrill-seeking... Oh, oh, I was thinking that it was the flight of Buckbeak from when Sirius left with with Buckbeak, and I was like, wouldn't it be Sirius feeling free? But now I I know, it's the the woohoo It's the woohoo scene. Yeah. Um... This sense of personal three- freedom and thrill-seeking makes hippogriffs a shoe-in for the role of an ESTP. This type is regarded for their urge to seek excitement in everyday life. Known as the dynamo of the personality types, ESTPs are quick thinkers who roll with any punches thrown at them. Ugh, this is just like me not knowing that owls are INTJs, because obviously owls have the stare, and obviously hippogriffs are dynamos. Right. I don't know... I would not say that hippogriffs roll with the punches, though. I think that uh, if they sense a punch coming, they will, like, eviscerate you. Right, yeah. <laughs> All right, number six, bow truckles. Mm, I'm not as... I'm, well, I, should, I should know this one, huh? Mm. Mm-hmm. God, what did Mugglenet say they were? ENFPs? I think that's right. But do I think that they're right? Yeah, do you agree? Yes, they're extroverted because they hang out together, right? Okay. They're like colonies of them. Yeah. Do I think that they are sensing or intuitive? I have lost the meaning of words at this point. Don't worry. The words in the Myers-Briggs don't mean anything to begin with. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break with Muggle then and say that I think that they're sensing okay. um, because they're animals. Mm-hmm. Or, or are they more like people? The Fantastic Beast films are not my strength here. I think that they're feeling for sure. Okay. And I think they're perceiving. Okay. So I'm going to go with ESFP. Okay. That's another two out of four for you there. Does the the question of the hour is, does Screen Rant agree with MuggleNet? They do not. Uh, they say that the Botruckles are ISTP. One of the best world-building inclusions to come from the Fantastic Beast movies was the first on-screen appearance of a bow truckle. These small creatures appeared in the form of twigs and leaves and utilized their small size to assist in a pinch. That's the best that Fantastic Beasts has to offer? <laughs> There's a little green guy. Ah, finally, some good world building. Since their size requires them to be inventive, assisting their friends with picking locks and such, these creatures would be identified as ISTP. Similarly, these personality types are known for their curiosity and knack for complicated problem solving. They are inventive and intuitive as can be. I assume that Picket is the one that hangs out and picks locks with a human, and probably 99% of Botruckles just live their whole life in a tree like a stick bug, right? Yeah, that's kind of the vibe I got from the movie. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the Picket was kind of an outlier. Uh-huh. It's almost like that was maybe the point of including him uh, mm. as a friend of Newt's, who is also an, out, an outsider. Are you talking about themes? <laughs> no, surely not. <laughs> All right, what do you think phoenixes are? Mm, beautiful. That's true. That beautiful is true. birds. They kind of have the INTJ stare a little bit. A little bit. Um. So I kind of want to. I kind of want to hit them with a little. Uh, I'm going to switch it up a little bit. I'm going to say they're extroverted. Um, because they heal people and and um. 
and like to hang out with Dumbledore, I guess. It's like the one phoenix that we know. Yeah. But I'm going to stick with the other parts. I'm going to say that they are ENTJs. ENTJ is your answer e- here? Uh-huh. Okay. I'm sorry to say that that is a zero out of four. That's bullshit. I agree, but nonetheless. Uh, one of the more <laughs> beautiful and mysterious beasts they I have said listed. That. No, that's... That's green rant. They're ISFP. Hmm. Based on what? Um, they are beautiful, mysterious beasts, a bird with fiery plumage. The phoenix also has a tendency to reincarnate through bursting into flames. I don't know if that's a tendency. What does that have to do with anything? (laughs) Full of mysterious properties, such as the ability to heal with tears, there seem to be many secrets behind these intuitive creatures. That is not what intuitive means. You can't just say intuitive. I don't think intuitive means anything anymore. (laughs) Looking at all their abilities and tendencies, the Phoenix would have to be considered ISFP. Somewhat reserved, these creatures are incredibly warm and friendly once their outer shell is penetrated. They are emotional healers to those who matter most to them. Hmm. I... hmm. That's not a very strong case, Screen Rant. No, not at all. But nonetheless, we must push on to the unicorn. How about the unicorn? Um, going back into Screen Rant's world. Yeah. I'm going to say they're introverted. Okay. Even though they're horses. <laughs> uh-huh. Which I've decided that all horses are extroverted. <laughs> <laughs> horses love to be uh, the center of attention at a party. True. Um... <laughs> um I'm going to say they're intuitive. I don't know why. I guess just because they're like mysterious or whatever. <laughs> um, I'm going to say they're feeling because I've never seen one do any thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and say they're judging because they are mo- like they like children or something. So they're like judging you. It's like, I won't go near you. I'm going to go near those who are pure of heart or whatever. I, I think, isn't it more, th- isn't it that they like women? Oh, yeah, that's what it is, because the unicorns were babies. That's what I got. I got that mixed up. Now, not not to lean too hard on this here, but because I know the words are meaningless, but mm. like, you're saying that's judging? Is that not perceiving? Well, they're not just looking and saying, you are a woman. They are saying you are a woman therefore my judgment is that you are good okay so you're going with infj yeah okay uh three out of four they are infps according to screen rant bullshit i really i was really pushing i wanted i wanted to give you the four out of four there but i i i am right and they are wrong that's true i (laughs) that's fair um, so three out of four, and let's see what they have to say. Although movie fans didn't see much of them, unicorns were far more prevalent in the books. When Hagrid is absent from teaching duties, his replacement begins or brings in one for the students to adore in place of the blast-ended scroots. Unicorns have healing abilities that are mysterious and ethereal. This would classify them similarly to INFPs. This personality type is more concerned with healing others and embracing a holistic attitude across the board. They are not easily bothered by most things compared to other personalities. Not easily bothered. Except by men, half of the population of the planet. Right. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> whatever, Screen Rant, whatever. All right, moving on. Our next one is Poltergeists. Peeves is a poltergeist. That's right. Well, he certainly likes to be the life of the party. Oh, yeah. Big time. I'm going to go ahead and say that he's extroverted. Okay. I don't know much about Peeves. He's always doing pranks. I I think the one that I'm least clear on of, of these is intuitive versus sensing. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to skip that one for now. I'm going to okay. go to thinking versus feeling. I think that he's definitely a feeler. Yeah. I don't I don't think that he thinks thinks about his plans. No, he, he just, just kind of goes what, for it for sure. Yeah. Um and I guess he's perceiving for no real reason. <laughs> um and he's what does he sense? He sense senses when a good time would be to to make some trouble. That's right. So he's an ESFP. You have hit four out of four on this oh, one. Oh, hell yeah. Peeves is undoubtedly a fan favorite character, appearing in almost all of the books. This poltergeist never once made an appearance in any of the film adaptations. His tendency to play jokes, sing, and perform other mischievous acts was a hallmark of the novels. Because of his love of mischief and pranks, Peeves and other poltergeists would most likely fall under the banner of ESFP. These personality types are seen as the life of the party, which is ironic considering that they are ghosts. No, they are not. Screen rant. Screen rant. <laughs> Poltergeists are not ghosts. He is the... We, we learn this in book one. Peeves is like an energy ball created from the, the like, the teen aura at Hogwarts. That's right. He is not a ghost. Natural entertainers, ESFPs, are impulsive and lively and are on the leading edge of making others laugh. Oh. So four out of four. He's on the cutting. He's an entrepreneur. Just like Fred and George. That's right. That's incredible. All right. Number eight. Acromantulas. Sp- big spider. Big old spider. That's a big spider. Big spider. Um, I think... That I would want to say they're extroverted because they are, we see them and they're very community focused. Um, But I assume that they don't want to be the life of the party. And I also don't think that Screen Rant will think they want to either because they're spiders. Right. So I'm going to say introverted. Okay. Sensing versus intuition. Really just confused. This website that I'm looking at has as explanation says their preference of one of the two functions of perception sensing or intuition <laughs> so i it's like i'm i'm drifting further and further away from what those words mean mm-hmm. um and again the only thing that i end up back on is that i feel like animals are just sensing but the acromantulas are also just people that are spiders. That are spiders. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and say... I still think they're probably sensing. Okay. Um, and I'm going to say they're thinking, and only because I think Screen Rant probably thinks that thinking is like the, like, I... Like the um, unemotional Right. Like logical. Right. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to say thinking, um, 
and judging versus perceiving, which really confuses me considering sensing versus intuition is the preference of one of the two functions of perception. Right. <laughs> mm. I think that the acromantulas are probably judging, and I think that it is the same reason that I picked thinking over feeling, and that I think that, that is the more cold, logical, like, like they are judging that it is time to eat human. Exactly. So I'm going to say ISTJ. Okay. Uh, two out of four. What? Once more. Yeah. They have them down as INTP. What? In the Chamber of Secrets, fans were introduced to Aragog, a giant spider and member of the Acromantula family. Residing in the Forbidden Forest, Aragog and his children built a home where strangers were allowed as long as they were prepared not to leave. Aragog and his descendants would most likely fall under INTP. Cold, calculating, and detached, these types are known for their logical approach to life, known as the architect. What better to embody that role than a web-making spider? Hmm. So you were honestly, like, completely spot on with your analysis of what Screen Rant thinks, but... I just don't know what they think about the Myers-Briggs yeah. words. Yeah. Because it's, it's all made up. All right, well, it's time for our last question. All right, I better get this one. This one is house elf. No, they're people. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of the ones we've done are people, but, like, Dobby would have a totally different profile than, like, Winky or Creature. Right. This is messed up, Screen Rant. Mm-hmm. Screen Rant. Not this okay. This is terrible. I'm just going to do Dobby. Okay. Dobby's extroverted. Okay. He's the life of the party. Um, he likes to hang out with his friends. He likes to help. He likes to help. He's, he's. I mean, I would invite Dobby to every party that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, their preference of one of the two functions of perception. I'm going to skip that one because I don't get it at all. <laughs> um, I'm going to go ahead and say that he feels, I think that he has big, Big Dobby feelings. Um, I, I mean, he. I mean, we know that. We know that. You know, he, uh, he kind of does what he feels is right. Um, he'll weep um, or laugh easily. He's wonderful. He's feeling. Okay. Um, and he again. This one also doesn't mean very much to me. I'm gonna go ahead and say perceiving because it seems like. Um, it's like the nicer of the two. And I think house elves are nice. I think Dobby's nice. I'm going to do the same thing with the other one. Um, I'm going to say that Dobby is always sensing when mm-hmm. his friends need his help. That's ESFP. I really hate to do this. Two out of four. Screen rant. I just don't. I just don't agree with them. On, I on, just, I'm starting to not trust Screen Rant very yeah. much. Yeah, who has Screen Rant failed us? <laughs> House elves, and especially Dobby, are known for their dedication to hard work and serving the ones they love. Their lifetime of servitude is defined by their loyalty, and they strive to make the world a better place for others. Few roles would fit better than that of ISFJ for House elves. In a nutshell, these personality types are loyal to tradition and to serving those around them, known as the protector. These personality types go to any length to assist others. I bet I would have done better if I had pulled up a list of the nicknames for each of the profiles. Right, yeah. 
that's that's a good point because I think that's honestly what Screen Rant is like leaning on more here, mm-hmm. rather than um, uh, 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 like taking e- each of the things uh on its own and calculating it that way. They're just like, oh, I'm picking the class, and right. the thinker is a class, so obviously this creature that thinks a lot is the thinker. Some some real smart stuff. <laughs> some re- really, really <laughs> genius stuff there. Well, I hope that everyone enjoyed that and that it was a slightly, you know, no no horrible putrid cocktail was made this time. You know? No, uh, nothing, nothing like that. Um, but you did score. Let's see. You got, um, so out of a possible 20, you got one, two. Oh, excuse me. Out of a possible 40, I don't I'm, I'm not very good at math. Out of a possible 40, you scored 21 out of uh 40, but I am going to go ahead and say that uh your answers were more correct than Screen Rant. Uh so I'm just going to go have you go ahead and give you an A on this one. Full marks. I I, I love that um because the Myers Briggs personality profiles are complete bullshit that since each one has a 50/50, I basically just basically just flipped a coin and got half and half <laughs> yeah you got two out of four on most of these uh-huh. you did get, i'm gonna give you a bonus though because you got um you got one four out of four uh that's which, pretty good which that's pretty good that was that was spot on there for sure but uh, yeah i hope everyone enjoyed that a little more than our our, our cursed third segments uh uh recently and and no one is drinking a horrible cocktail this time so it this seems like a win-win i think yeah, yeah, and I, I think I'm, you know, we, we've gone a little long today. I could have talked about the Horcrux chapter for easily an hour longer. Yeah, seriously. I think we probably will when we finish Half-Blood Prince, right? Yeah, like, probably. Like, we are we, we are going to return to this topic. We have the whole drinking the bone-hurting juice chapter to do <laughs> um, coming up, so, like, yeah, yeah we, got, we got, we got some... We've got Horcruxes on the horizon for sure, but for now, shall we take it to the close? Yeah, let's do it. Our theme song is Hot McGonagall by Cheshire Moon. Huge thanks to them, as always, for letting us use it as our theme song. You can find them on Bandcamp, and you can find us at patreon.com slash shriekcast. We have lots and lots of fun bonus content for you there. We've got Let's Plays. We've got bonus episodes. We've got talking about movies and books and things that we've read lots lots and lots and lots of content for you there and liz what are we reading next week we are reading chapter 24 it is called sectum sempra Ooh, it's time for the sword spell it's time for violence hell yeah can't wait for that well I'm excited to get to that, but before we get there, we have to uh, uh, hear a little bit of wisdom from Emerson Sparts. Are you ready? Yeah, I think we could all use some wisdom in, in the times that we are in. Free podcasts, multiple voice actors, sound effects, and music. $20 audiobooks, one voice actor, no sound effects, and no music. We're largely in the silent film era of audiobooks. The best-selling audiobooks in history still have a male reading female voices. Wow.
Well, while Emerson Smarts is learning the difference between an audiobook and a dramatization, uh, <laughs> please read another book. Please read another book. Makes ocean roll seem tame. Better know what you're after if you catch a eye. Cause this hot mama is just a cat in disguise.